You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. Learning to pray is a lot like learning a second language. Um, before I was a pastor, and then for a while overlapping with while we were church planting in North Carolina, I was a Spanish teacher. I taught six years of high school and three years of middle school. Uh, and I've taught everything from uh, sixth grade exploratory, like semester long electives, all the way up to advanced placement Spanish to high school seniors. Uh, and, but by far, having taught this whole breadth of classes, my favorite was always Spanish one. This is one of the ones that like most teachers were excited when they got to teach Spanish two and didn't have to do one anymore. I loved it. Um, the, the kids who knew next to nothing about Spanish at all. I love the kids who walked in the first day and I just start speaking Spanish to them and they're all like deer in the headlights because they're like, oh my gosh, it's like they've walked into just a different world, which they sort of had. And I love this group because I, I had the opportunity to take them from zero to something. I had the opportunity to transform something that they were like deathly afraid of uh, to, to something that, that maybe was at least approachable if not enjoyable by the end of the year. And, and, and my goal at the beginning of the school year, particularly for the first six weeks or so, it kind of varied by class, was, was simple. Get them talking. That was it. Every day, if I could get them to start making words out of their mouth, then I was winning. Because not only were they uncomfortable with how much Spanish I was speaking, but, but they were scared stiff thinking about the possibility that they were going to have to speak Spanish themselves, like out loud in a classroom <laughs> with all of their peers listening, knowing that if they make a mistake or say something silly, like everybody might laugh at them, which, you know, for anyone between like grades like seven and nine, like that's the worst thing that can happen in the whole world, you know? So I knew this about them, and I knew that if I could just get them talking, they would eventually get over their insecurities. And I knew that the best way to get them talking was to help them forget that they were speaking Spanish at all and just make it fun. So I turned everything possible into a game. I took every game that I could possibly co-opt or create and, and make it some kind of silly game in the class. So we played bingo. We played Jeopardy on this giant Jeopardy board that I created. Um, we played Paso Pelota which was just totally a made-up game. It just means, like, ball pass. And it was, like, literally, it was just an excuse to let them throw things at each other across the room, <laughs> which they loved. And then in the middle, they're speaking Spanish, but they're forgetting about it while they're trying to hit their friend. And all along, while I did this, no matter what, I, I tried to make my classroom a, a place where mistakes were simply part of the process where no one was gonna be made fun of, where everybody would sound silly at some point, and, and we were all learning together. And so over time, they ended up enjoying the games more than they feared sounding silly, which caused them to learn and caused their fluency to grow, little by little. And this, ab this advent, the, the invitation to us is to become more fluent in prayer. 
And I would say this, like, like prayer is simply communication with God. At its most basic level, prayer is communication with God. Language is all about communication between people, right? Prayer is all about communication between us and our Heavenly Father. And, and so our series this, this Advent is called Kneeling Towards Bethlehem, Prayerful Expectation in the Advent Season. And as we move through these weeks of Advent, we're inviting us all to approach Christmas on our knees in prayer. And today we're going to specifically pray for peace. We're going to talk about praying for peace, and we'll do this together actually at the end of the sermon today. Now, in, in a room this size, I'm aware that like we probably have people that are all along the spectrum of fluency in prayer. Some of us are still maybe in the beginning stage, like those Spanish one students, where like prayer is confusing. We might feel super anxious about praying out loud, especially in a group of people. When we're surrounded by other people praying, it's like we've stepped into another world that we just don't know what to do with it. Uh, many of us have, have mostly, we've broken that ice, right? We've gotten over our initial insecurities, but sometimes we still feel uncomfortable or depending on the setting, we might be worried about like, am I, am I doing it the quote right way? Am I doing something wrong? Um, in this stage, we, we use a lot of like keywords or familiar phrases that we've heard other people use in prayer, right? It's real easy to pull those out of your back pocket. Not wrong, but we're, we're safe in that space. Some of us, I'm aware, we're much more comfortable in the language of prayer, but sometimes we still have a sense that we're missing out on something. Like sometimes you can be praying and you get that sense that everyone else is laughing at a joke, but you didn't catch the punchline because it's in another language and you didn't get the nuances of it and you're, you're praying with people and you kind of feel like, am I, am I missing out on something? Or sometimes there might be certain situations and opportunities for prayer that make us feel uneasy or ill-equipped. Maybe there's certain forms of prayer that, that, that we just don't feel like we connect with and other people seem to be getting a lot out of it. It's like, well, what's, what's wrong with me? Why is this not working for me? So the good news is wherever we are on that spectrum, the good news is that none of us are native speakers in the language of heaven. And we can learn, and we can grow in fluency. Now, hands down, any language teacher will tell you this. The best way to learn is immersion and practice. That's it. If you really want to learn a language, immersion and practice. What keeps the process moving forward is simply being around other people who speak that language and then going for it for yourself. This is a great opportunity to plug small groups once again, right? There's a lot of prayer that happens in small groups. It's a great spot to be in where other people are praying. We get to learn from them. We get to practice it ourselves. Now, when it comes to prayer, some of the very best native speakers that we can surround ourselves with are people who are actually no longer alive, the authors of scripture. Folks who are writing the Bible and we can read a lot of their prayers and other things that might inform our prayers in ways that we get this sense of, like, I'm learning from a native speaker. As Reese said last week, when we let the Bible become our prayer, we're praying in inspired vocabulary. I love that phrase. It's inspired vocabulary that we just get by osmosis, by immersion in the scriptures. And so this week, we're going to turn to one of the Psalms. This is an easy place to begin. Psalms are a wonderful place to begin if we're interested in praying the scriptures. So turn with me to Psalm 85. Um, the reading for today is Psalm 85, verses 1 through 2, and then we're going to skip down verses 8 through 13. 
Let's pray before we read this. God, we thank you for the authors of the Bible. We thank you for those folks who were seeking you, who learned to listen to you, who learned to conversate with you, and who then, inspired by your spirit, wrote things down that we can then learn from, that can influence us. And I just pray, Lord, today, would you increase our fluency in prayer? Whether we feel like we're very, very at the beginning and aren't sure where to even start, or we're somewhere in the middle, or we feel like we've been doing it for a long time, God, all of us, we want to grow in fluency in our communication with you. Come, Holy Spirit, I pray that your voice would speak much more loudly than my own today. Amen. So here's Psalm 85. If you're, if you're curious at all, this is the uh, ESV, the English Standard Version. And I chose this one today precisely because it tends to be um, uh, a little bit more literal word for word. Um, if I'm honest, sometimes a little more wooden and not as flowy, but it serves our purposes. So here's what it says. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Now, what we're gonna do together this morning is we are going to turn this psalm into a prayer. And like, yeah, it sort of already is, right? The psalms are songs, they're prayers that are like set to music, and which is great, and it, but it makes it a real easy starting point. But what I mean is, how can I pray this psalm in my own personal communication with the Lord, like as if it was just me and him having a conversation? How, how can I immerse myself in this psalm, take the language that the psalmist uses and make it my own in such a way that maybe I grow in fluency just a little bit? So, so in a moment, kind of by way of example, I'm just gonna walk you guys step-by-step, verse-by-verse through just that, through, through how I prayed this psalm in one of my own times with the Lord. But before we do that, I wanna give you guys three quick tips and you'll see these work out as we, as we go through it. Three quick tips, I think, for turning scripture into prayer. Because that might sound great. Like, yeah, I'd love to pray the Bible, but sometimes we, we come down to it and it might seem a little tricky. So I've found these helpful to me over the years. Number one, give yourself creative license. And this is not always something that we feel like we're given when it comes to the Bible. <laughs> but I want to give you creative license. You have permission to play a little bit with the words of scripture when it comes to your own prayers to God. You do. You have the Holy Spirit in you as well. And I think he loves this. Um, You know, none of us, as far as I'm aware, are qualified to be Bible translators. I'm certainly not. When I'm doing this kind of thing, I'm not trying to write the revised Roger version that Zondervan's going to print, you know? Like, that's never going to happen. Uh, I'm not writing a dissertation that I'm trying to come at with some kind of like flawless exegesis with all these like cross-references as language studies or whatever. That's, that's not what's happening. Those kind of Bible study things are great too, but we're praying, we're not studying. 
I'm, I'm just, I'm simply trying to take the language of the Bible off of the page and into my heart. This is the invitation. I'm trying to take the words of scriptures and let them become prayers that I can speak out of my own mouth to God. So give yourself some creative license there. Second, make it personal. Make it personal. Again, if you're doing this for for you and the Lord, whenever it's helpful, like change the pronouns around a little bit to be like first person speaking to second person, right? Like that is you speaking to God. Um, And wherever possible, different Psalms in particular might invite this uh, possible when it name your own specific circumstances in the midst of the Psalm, name your own concerns, name your own reasons for praising God, make it personal. And third is allow it to lead you. And this I think is one of the great benefits of learning to pray scriptures. Yield yourself, decide at the outset that you are going to yield yourself wherever this passage may take you in prayer even if it's somewhere that you might otherwise not want to go in prayer, especially if it's leading you somewhere outside of your own comfort zone, that's a good sign that the Bible is doing what it is meant to do for you. Prayer, prayer sometimes changes our circumstances, but prayer always changes us. The, the longer I follow Jesus and the more I understand and have broadened my experience of prayer, the more I am convinced that the primary purpose of prayer is our own formation. That it's not to convince God of something, that it's not to make him uh, do something that I really want to see happen in, in my life or in someone else's life, but the primary thing that should happen is when I get up from prayer that I am somehow different and formed more into the image of Jesus, into the person that he has created me to be. When I, when I humbly follow another guide into prayer, like this psalm, for example, I, I find myself praying things that I would otherwise never pray for, using language that I just might not choose to use myself and thus becoming a person that I otherwise never would have become on my own. So let's do this. You guys, you guys want to play with this psalm a little bit? A few of you. So verse one, the psalmist writes this. And again, keep in mind, this is imagining we're in a place where it's just us and the Lord. How can we make this something that we can just speak to him on our own? And this is just my example. This is not like the right way to do it. This is nothing formal or official in any way. But verse one says, Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. And and right off the bat, if I'm honest, this is probably the most challenging verse in this entire psalm for me to pray with any sort of like, resonance or to like mean this in any kind of way. It gets easier from here is what I'm saying. And I think for me, this is two main reasons, uh, two words, land and Jacob. Like land, like, like land just isn't as big of a deal to me as it was in the ancient Near East. And in some other places in the world today, like land is still really, really important. I know some of you guys live on like family farms and stuff. And so maybe land works for you. I'm like, My house is built on land. That's good, I guess. But land, often in the Bibles, and I think this is helpful, land can often serve uh, as a metaphor for just our entire life, right? That the land God has given me is metaphorically all that encompasses and makes up my life and sustains me. And the the problem with Jacob, like Jacob is not my direct ancestor. Uh, and, And so although I'm familiar with his story, like, 
It just is, it doesn't pack quite the punch that it probably did to the original psalmist. So I've got to find some other way to deal with this. The, the point of this first verse, I think, is it's starting off this psalm as a recollection of God's past favor and restoration, right? God's poured out favor. He's, he's restored stuff. So I would pray something like this. Lord, you showed my life favor. You brought restoration. You showed my life favor. You brought restoration. I think I can pray that, all right? Verse two, he says, you forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. Now, here's where we're gonna play with the pronouns a little bit. We're gonna change this from third person to first person, about, from being about what God did for them to what God did for me. Like, it's still meaningful and powerful either way, uh, but I just wanna do this because, again, this is my own personal prayer time, and, and it's great that God covered their sin, but if I'm honest, most days I'm like, but what about mine? It can be easy to believe that God might be willing to forgive all these other people. Sometimes it's harder to believe that God's gonna forgive me, so maybe I need to pray this. Um, also, side note, I don't really ever use iniquity in normal conversation. <laughs> what a weird word, right? But we keep these in the Bible, it's fine. It's got technical meaning. So I'm just gonna go with wrongs. Can we say that? Like six-year-old Roger would understand this, so I'm gonna go with it. So I would pray, you forgave my wrongs, you covered all my sin. Okay, I can mean that. The reading for today skips down to verse eight. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Uh, first note, here's the first mention of peace. Today is the second Sunday of Advent about peace, so we're gonna be praying for peace. Um, again, we're gonna make this more personal, more intimate. I want this to be directly from me to God, uh, and and I, know, I know that I'm included in his people, in his saints, but I, I just want to make it more direct. Um, folly also feels weird. I don't use that word unless I'm talking about Folly Beach. That's like literally the only time I ever use that word. Uh, so I would just say, I would say foolishness. I like that better. We're going to go with that. Um, also, I just, I felt like changing the word saints. Again, I believe that I'm, I'm in on that. Um, but I wanted to change this to something that has connotations of being special yet also more personal, like your precious son. There's this specialness attached to that, right? If, if you're a lady here today, you could turn it to your precious daughter. And remember this later when we pray it, right? This is what we'll do. But there's something about this affirmation that if I'm honest, I was tempted to just kind of leave off. Like it feels a little arrogant to remind God, like, I'm your precious son, right? But here's the, here's the scriptures talking about you're his saints. You're his holy ones. So we're going to stick with it. It's good and true that we even get reminded of ourselves and who God has made us to be. So I would pray, let me hear you when you speak, Lord. I need you to speak peace to me, your precious son, but help me not turn back to foolishness. I can pray that. Verse nine, surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Again, some more stuff. We're gonna change his to your, those to me, etc. right? Bring ourselves into the picture. 
Now, I think it's important to note here, if, you, if we keep reading, and we'll do it in a second, um, the next few verses are not requests, but rather praises. Lots of times the Bible will lead us not to just ask, 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 but praise, 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 to declare things that are true based on what we know of God's character, what we've seen of his activity in the past. So rather than asking God for certain like blessed states of being, which we could do, we could turn it that way if we wanted to, we're, instead, we're invited instead to, inv- to declare and proclaim the kind of life that God gives his people through his salvation. These are good reminders. Um, the word fear, the word fear might be fine, right? Fear is all over the Bible. And when, when he talks about fearing God, it doesn't mean like, like tremble in your boots because God's gonna smite you. That's not what it means. If anybody tries to get you to think that's what it means, they're wrong. You can tell them your associate pastor said so. What it means, though, is, is this like holy reverence, right? The kind of reverence that you're before someone awesome and powerful and beautiful, and you just, you like, you want to fall to your knees. So we're just going to stick with the word revere. Is that cool? That just feels better to me. And the second line about glory dwelling in our land, this is really fun. What came to my mind is it sounds like a neighbor. It's like, like hey, who lives in your land? Oh, glory. You know Glory. And I'm suddenly reminded, there's a line in Eugene's, Eugene Peterson's version of John 1 in the message when he writes, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Oh man, that's a good one for Christmas time, guys. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. So again, this is me making it personal. It's pulling a memory of another verse in the Bible that is coming in and just informing this. You, you can do this when you're praying. So I would, I would pray this verse by saying, surely your salvation is near to me when I revere you. Your glory moves into the neighborhood. I can pray that all week long. Verse 10, steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. This is expounding on verse nine. This is more ways of describing the new reality in which I live because of God's salvation. The psalmist isn't done. It's more, more, more. Um, now, the word meet here, this is more than just like a casual crossing of paths. Like, oh, I met somebody one time. This is like hang out. Like if you say to somebody, hey, you want to meet at Starbucks? You know, what you're implying is like, let's sit down, let's chat, right? Let's get a cup or two and just catch up on life. So I like saying hang out. Um, a word here on righteousness. Um, we won't get into a whole bunch of nerdy language stuff, but the word for righteousness here can equally mean righteousness or justice, And it's interesting to see which Bible translations go with one or the other. Sometimes they'll flip back and forth between them. I've just been in a practice the last number of years to me that whenever I see this, I just think justice. And I kind of just replace it and see how that strikes me different. If for no other reason than I tend to think, as many of you maybe do, righteousness seems like it tends to have more personal connotations, like my righteousness before the Lord, right? And justice has to do with God making things right in the entire world. And there's just something in me that's hungry to see that a whole lot more. So I'm just going to flip it to justice. So I would pray. Oh, also, um, you should be aware, the kiss thing. Is that weird? Is it? it Yeah. If it feels weird to pray kiss to the Lord, that's okay. 
That's okay. In the ancient Near East, you should know, kissing was not primarily just like a romantic thing. It usually is for us, maybe to our small kids. Our kids are getting to the point now where they're a little bit past this. It doesn't fly so much anymore. Um, But this was like just a standard greeting. You would greet people, and in many places in the world, right, you still travel today, and there's like, you know, a kiss on either side of the cheek. It's a way of greeting someone that you're familiar with. And so I would pray, steadfast love and faithfulness hang out together justice and peace, greet each other with a big old hug. Because that's what we do. When we, see, when we in America <laughs> see people we're really excited to see, we'll hug them. You might kiss somebody, I don't know. That might go weird. Verse 11, he's continuing this. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. More praises, more declarations. This is more of what life in God's kingdom is like. And what I love about this, this verse, it seems like it's painting a picture of all of God's goodness invading the land, invading my life and all that encompasses it, like water coming from all sides. It's like coming up from under the ground like springs and it's coming down from the sky like rain. And so I just felt compelled to make this water imagery a bit more strong. And so I'd pray something like faithfulness bubbles up like springs of water and justice pours down like rain showers. I feel like I probably took most liberties with that one than any other verse, but it's okay. It helped me connect with the Lord. Man, if you're listening on the podcast, it started raining right now. Me and Jesus planned that this morning. Verse 12, yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Um, We could leave this, this is another affirmation, right? This is another declaration. We could leave it that way. For some reason, I saw the psalm was ending a little bit and I wanted to make it more of a request. Um, And again, land, big deal in the ancient Near East, but for us, we can think of it as being like our entire life. So I wanna say something a bit more like that. Um, And yield its increase, like, I don't talk that way. Like, say, hey, how's your vegetable garden? It yielded, it, it yielded its increase. I can't even say the words. We would just say, like, we got lots of veggies. You know, it bore lots of fruit. So I would turn these lines into this request where I would say, Lord, give me only what is truly good that my life might bear fruit. Give me only what is truly good that my life might bear fruit. And then we're landing the plane in verse 13. He writes, righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. We're gonna end here. And again, we're gonna turn this into a request for God himself to move forward in our lives, for God himself to move forward unhindered in our world. I wanted to end this with a sort of like, just yes, amen, let it be sort of prayer. Um, make his footsteps away also just doesn't sound like something I would say. I don't know, that's kind of a weird way to say something. ESV. But the picture is of justice laying out a path for God to walk on. What a cool image. This, of course, is very much similar to like John the Baptist, right? His calling to make straight the paths for the Lord, right? That in justice, he's laying out this path that God can move un. Hindered. 
So I would pray, may justice go before you and make a clear path for you to walk through our world. Learning to pray never ends. I remember hitting a couple of points in my life where I thought, man, I've got this. I figured this out, you know? I learned how to do some like intercessory prayer, like on my own. I remember learning like the Vineyard five-step prayer model, which is also awesome when you're like doing hands-on prayer meetings for people. I remember a couple other times feeling like, man, I've, re- I've learned this. This is great. I know how to pray now. But then lo and behold, there's always more. I'm still praying with the accent of earth. And I want to grow in fluency. So my encouragement to you guys, since none of us are probably fully yet like native speakers, is to practice this week using Psalm 126. You've got a little bit of homework. Take Psalm 126 and just on your own, and you could do it just out loud, reading it if you want to. If it helps you to write some of this down, like in a journal, you could do that. Psalm 126 is actually the the psalm assigned for next Sunday for the third Sunday of Advent, which is all about joy. And I think it would just be an awesome practice for you throughout this week to see how would you pray this psalm as you head towards Christmas. And let's close this morning by praying this prayer together. Would you guys stand with me? Just a note before we begin praying. Remember there's the line about like son or daughter, right? You know who you are. Just say the right one. Let's pray. Lord, you showed my life favor. You brought restoration. You forgave my wrongs. You covered all my sin. Let me hear you when I speak, Lord. I need you to speak peace to me, your precious son. But help me not turn back to foolishness. Surely your salvation is near to me when I revere you. Your glory moves into the neighborhood. Steadfast love and faithfulness hang out together. Justice and peace greet each other with a big hug. Faithfulness bubbles up like springs of water and justice pours down like rain showers. Lord, give me only what is truly good that my life might bear fruit. May justice go before you and make a clear path for you to walk through our world. Amen.